want to know right off the bat that this is weird. Uh, and, and so uh, after early service, I was like, I went back to my office and I thought, I'm just going to go and pull out another message that I've preached in the past because that was horrible. Uh, and God kind of checked me on it. I got a text from a friend who texts me on a regular basis on Sunday mornings, and he texts me this, one word, strange, period. And then, he, and then he said, all I have is this word from the Lord for you today. Trust the burden God has given you. Your obedience and willingness to carry it and deliver it will honor him. So as weird as this is, as uncomfortable as this may be, uh, I, I wanted to just, you know, we've had a lot of crazy stories out of the book of Judges, and I just, I wanted to skip this. God kind of checked me on it, and so uh, you're going to get what I got, uh, and it's from God, not from me, so be listening for His voice. Uh, but uh, if you were here last week, uh, the last two messages actually have been uh, from the story of Gideon uh, out of the book of Judges. And if you were here last week, as we ended, I, I told you that Gideon's reign as Israel's leader uh, didn't end the way that you might expect it to end. Uh, and so I just want to quickly summarize the series of events that took place from then until where we're going to be this morning uh, in chapter 8 through 10. Last week we left Gideon in a good place. He just won this incredible uh, military defeat. You know, with God's help, he just pulled off probably the most incredible upset in military history. He had taken 300 men. God had whittled his army down to 300 uh, and basically uh, defeated this massive Midianite army that scholars say probably consisted of 100,000. And so his 300 against this huge Midianite army and enemy and not one single casualty, uh, you know. And so as you can imagine, Gideon is viewed now as this awesome hero. I mean, he takes 300 uh, into the battle. There's actually not a battle at all, and the enemy just runs away and they defeat themselves, right? And so Gideon is, is you know, being praised. He's looked at as a hero but what we learned between then and, and where we're at now is Gideon, uh, he lets all this go to his head. He's reading his own press clippings. He's, you know, all the pats on the back have caused him to start patting him on se his own self on the back. Uh, and long story short, success and power goes to his head, and it, end up, it ends up costing him dearly. Uh, he stops consulting with God about his next steps. You know, last week we saw that Gideon just wanted to be with God. Well, through the success and what God was doing through him, uh, his focus gets on the wrong things. And he becomes a stumbling block, actually, to the nation of Israel uh, later on in his, in his life. After his death, his family absolutely goes haywire. It's, you know, just craziness after craziness. And they end up destroying themselves and, you know, from the inside out. It's, it's just a train wreck. Uh, and all of it was directly related to the fact that Gideon had turned from God. Yes, once God was using him in a mighty way, uh, but he got off track. And not only had the disobedience of the father, Gideon, destroyed the family, but it also caused the nation of Israel all kinds of misery for many years to come. And so that brings us today to 
the, the next leader that, that I want us to look at and to focus on uh, today, and his name is Jephthah. And, but before we get to that, uh, as summer is hopefully winding down, aren't, aren't you hopeful that it's about to wind down? I mean, I keep checking the seven-day forecast thinking it's coming, it's coming, and it's not. And, and I'm ready for it to go, right? Lynette has the fall decorations out. Uh, we bought some more Christmas decorations yesterday. Uh, and so, you know, we're ready to move on and get the trees up and all that. But uh, uh, I, I want to ask you a crazy question about your summer, though. And, and uh, I'm just curious. How many of you this summer have eaten a grilled hot dog? Raise your hand. Grilled hot dogs. Yeah. So this will make you wonder even more about how your pastor thinks. In preparation for this message, I began to think about hot dogs. And I was thinking about if I had a dollar, so I've been in, in ministry now for a long time. If I had a dollar for every hot dog that I have grilled as a youth pastor and as a pastor, I would be a very wealthy man right now. All right? I don't know what it is about pastors, but somehow we feel like we need to stand over a grill and grill people this uh, appetizing, wonderful treat of a hot dog, right? And so we do it a lot. Uh, but I began to think about what a hot dog is. And I'm going to say that the majority of us do not know what we're eating when we eat a hot dog. And for the most part, you don't want to know what is in that hot dog that you've been eating uh, this summer. But just my curiosity, they say curiosity killed the cat, and we're grateful for that. But... Uh, <laughs> It's the only kind of good cat. <laughs> it's, so, but anyway, so what's in a hot dog? Uh, so I decided to look up the ingredients, and since ballpark is my favorite, because I feel like it, it looks, it resembles more something edible than those bright red hot, you know. And so I looked up the ingredients. I Googled what's in a ballpark, Frank. So what's in a hot dog? Here are the ingredients for a ballpark hot dog, which is a really, really good hot dog. Mechanically separated chicken, which I had to do a little further digging to find out exactly what mechanically separated chicken was, is described by the USDA as a paste-like poultry product. I read even further into that, and basically what they do is they just smash it into, they run it through a sieve, and this, this, it just kind of smashes it, and it turns this chicken, it gets it away from the bone, and it turns it into like this jelly, this paste this separated chicken. Ballpark uh, Franks also have some pork in them. Uh, some pork. Uh, has water, thankfully, water. Corn syrup, potassium lactate, salt, sodium phosphate, natural flavor. Beef stock, sodium dacetate, sodium erythrobate, maltodextrin, paprika extract, and sodium nitrate is added to prevent botulism. All right? Now, doesn't that make your mouth water? Don't we all want to run and eat a hot dog now? You know, but, but you know, <laughs> there's a point, there's a method to the madness, all right, uh, sometimes. 
Many people today in our world today are building their Christianity. They're building their faith much like a hot dog. All right, they take a little bit of something from this. They, 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 they got a little bit of God, okay, so that's a good ingredient. And, and they, you know, they take a little bit of God, they mix it with a little bit of something else. They mix it, you know, with a little bit of something from this and that. They mix in a little baptism water, right? And the result is a concoction that slightly resembles Christianity, but in all reality, it's not real. It's not the real deal. It's just a cheap imitation. And, and that's what we're going to see with Jephthah today, I believe. As we look through, at his story, the, the, the challenge for us here is uh, about how we let the things around us and the society around us and the culture around us contaminate the real meat of what being a Christian is this morning. And, and so... Uh, again, here in chapter 10, verse 6, we see that the people of, of Israel had once again turned from God. They had turned from capital G God to a bunch of little g gods uh, in their culture. And so God once again allows them to be oppressed, to be taken into captivity, to be enslaved. And, and this has been a familiar pattern that we've seen in every single story that we've looked at as we've gone through Judges. The Israelites turn to false gods, they turn away from God, and that leads to them being enslaved and, and into slavery. But here's what's different this time. Their oppression and their misery in and through this situation, uh, in the past, we see they have always cried out to God for help, right? They'd always turned to Him and repented and turned to Him for His help. But this time, the Israelites, we see initially what they do is they cry out for deliverance to the very little g-gods who got them in this mess to begin with. And, and I think that's a great lesson for all of us. The, the little gods, the things that uh, uh, we worship, if you will, in this world, often will get us in a huge mess, and we just continue to dig ourselves deeper because we keep running to those things instead of God for help and for peace and security in our lives. And, and so the Israelites, uh, you know, they, they cry out from deliverance from these other things, from these pagan gods uh, trying to get some sort of relief. And you may be here this morning, and you may, may be going, Steve, I don't have any idols. I don't have any, you know, little G gods in my house. You know, we don't worship that. We don't do that. You know, we're a Christian family. But don't miss this. And we talked about it a few weeks ago. I just mentioned it briefly. But it's going to be our focus today. An idol in the Bible is not just a statue that you bow down to. But an idol is anything that you turn to for power and happiness apart from God. And, and so, you know, some, some people in our world today, they're actually, you know, would call themselves a Christian, but in all reality, they're worshiping the idol of success in their life instead of worshiping the one true God. And, and I mean that by saying... You know, uh, people in our world today feel like if they can just be successful, if they can just have a great business, if they could just get that degree and have that hanging on their wall, whatever, if they can just find success, then they'll have security in life. Then they might have some power and some influence in the world that we live in. And maybe even along with that power and that security and that influence would come some peace 
and some happiness in their lives. And so success, in whatever form or fashion that looks like, becomes an idol in their life. Some worship the idols of material things or money, right? There, there's something, and, and you see it all the time. You see, you see people do this. There's something that they want really, really bad, right? And we talked about it before because, right, we deserve it, right? We've earned it. And so, but there's something that they want really, really bad, and, and they won't be happy until they have it. And so they'll do anything in order to be able to get it and, and to have it. Some worship, the, some forms of idolatry can even be in relationships that we have. You know, we, we, we talk about relationships a lot, but sometimes relationships can actually be something that we put in front of God or we, you know, uh, use as a, an idol or a little G-God in our life. You think that you won't be happy until you have the perfect Mr. Right or Mrs. Right in your life, and so you obsess with finding that or, or having that. And a lot of people today are choosing the absolute wrong ingredients, the wrong things to try to find security and happiness and peace in their lives. And let's call them what they are today. They're little G-gods and they're idols. All right? And then we see something here that we haven't seen yet in the story of Judges. Uh, let's pick it up at verse 10 here in chapter 10. God's word says this, Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We've sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. And God replied in verse 13, But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Verse 14, God says, Go and cry out to the gods that you chose. Go and cry out to the gods that you have chosen. Let them save you. When you are in trouble. And for the first time here in Judges, in these stories that we've been looking at, we see God say, no, not going to help. So why? Why was that his response? Well, because God knows. He knows their heart. He knows your heart. And he knew their heart, and he knew that they were not crying out to him because they desired to be in right relationship with him. That wasn't why they were crying out to him for help. They were just crying out to him because they're miserable. And they want somebody, anybody, to make it stop, right? And so God knows this. All right, we, we've got a pattern developing here. And so God knows their heart, and God knows the reason that they're crying out to him is, is not uh, really a legitimate cry for help. There had been no change of heart. This is, this is, and a lot of people do this today, let me play the God card here and see if he'll get me out of trouble again. All right, and don't miss this. We have to ask ourselves this question. Are we, in our relationship with God, are we using God or are we worshiping God? Y'all see why I didn't really want to preach this today? Because y'all ain't going to like it. Are we using God for our benefit, when we need Him, when it's handy to have Him? Or are we worshiping God? And then in verse 15, we see the, you know, the light comes on. We get a picture here of what 
true repentance is. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And don't miss this statement. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. He could bear their misery no longer. Well, believe it or not, you know, they get it. Uh, at first, all they really want, think about it, and, and this is us a lot of times. All they really wanted at first was what? Peace from God, right? But now they understand that their real need is simply just to be with God, right? Not necessarily important what they're getting from God, but just the fact that they are with God. Even if it means that they continue to have troubles, right? Even if it means that they continue to, to be held captive and in slavery, they'd rather have troubles with God than to be without God. And friends, this is what repentance looks like. This is what true repentance in someone's life looks like and what a relationship with God looks like. Uh, it's living our lives, understanding that, yes, we will have trouble. The Bible says, yes, you will have trouble. But it's understanding that and knowing that and go, you know what? Even if it gets hard, even if it gets easy, I just want Him. I, I just want to be with Him. I, I just want to walk with Him. And, and the truth is, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean today that your life is going to be trouble-free. I mean, just because you become a Christian doesn't mean all of a sudden, you know, your wife is going to be smiling all the time, <laughs> right? Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean that all your problems and all your troubles are, are just going to go away now, right? You may not get a raise at work this year or next year or the next, right? It's not how it works. Just because we become followers of God that everything's going to be awesome and wonderful, but it's better to go through those things with God than it is to go through life without Him, I assure you. And we're seeing this time and time and time again throughout the book of Judges. It is better to be with Him than to be without Him. Right? The Israelites finally realized this, and God sends them their next leader that we're introduced here in, in chapter 11. And uh, I want to pick it up there in verse 1, just kind of summarize his introduction here. Jephthah the Gileadite was a, a, a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother, a prostitute. Gideon's wife, Gilead's wife, also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah uh, away because he was the son of a prostitute. Now, verse 3, so Jephthah fled from his brothers and he settled in the land of Tob where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. So again, God raises up someone awesome, doesn't he? No, once again, God raises up someone who has been rejected. Uh, and not only that guy, but he's basically surrounded himself with a bunch of other rejects. I mean, you pick up on that? As I'm reading this, I'm like, this sounds like our church. You know, a reject pastoring a bunch of scoundrels. And, and so, you know, but, but now the Israelites, here's, what, here's what's funny about this, ironic in this whole situation. Now the Israelites turn to him, they, they turn to Jephthah for his help and for his leadership. 
And, and if you read there, and I'm not reading all this today for the sake of time, but after some discussion about how he had been, you know, he's basically saying, but wait a minute, you ran me off before, right? Yeah, yeah, we know. We're sorry about that. But now we really need your help and scoundrels too, you know. We, we need you to come. And, and so they give him some assurance that if he'll return back with them, that he'll be their leader and they'll allow him to lead. And, and so, you know, they, they make way there and that and he comes back. And so he goes to the king of the enemy uh, that, that's basically holding them captive and he tries some diplomacy. He tries some diploma, uh, diplomatic things there, uh, but it basically ends with no result, and it's obvious it's going to end in a showdown and a battle. And so I want to skip down now to verse 30. And Jephthah had made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites in my hands whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, Mizpah who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sounds of of timbrels. She was an only child. And in the next few verses, uh, we see the tragedy uh, of this vow that he had made. Uh, and, you know, in the commentaries that I read about this and various things that scholars said about it, they try to soften uh, this a little bit, but it, but it is what it is. But it's important that we consider the question here. Why did he take why did he make this vow to begin with? Why would you even do such a thing? I mean, even if you thought, the, you know, when the, when the front door opened, the first thing that would come out would be your dog, right? But back then they didn't keep dogs in their house, and they definitely didn't keep cats around. But he, he, uh, he y'all know I'm kidding. No, I'm not. But, but it's important here that, that we understand why he would make this kind of vow because you read it and you go, that's crazy. Why would, why would anyone make a vow like this? Well, here's the deal. This was how the people of that day and that culture, this was how they pleased pagan gods. All right? So this really wasn't as strange as it sounds to us. Right? Because this was more common in their culture than you would realize. You offered sacrifices to these pagan, pagan gods in order uh, that they would gain, uh, you would gain their favor. Right? And the bigger or the, and the greater the sacrifice, the more favor that you should receive from these gods. But God never required this. In fact, in Deuteronomy 18, uh, God says... Uh, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter uh, as an offering. Uh, and so what's happened here? All right, don't miss this. Jephthah uh, has mixed all kinds of sodium nitrates and potassium lactates into his faith. You see what's happened here? And it looks something like the meat of faith, but it's really not that at all. It's really, 
He has diluted it down by adding all these things from the outside. He's diluted it down to just a cheap substitute of what God really intended that relationship to be like and to look like. And another reason he did this is because he was basically desensitized to violence. Uh, Human life was no longer regarded in their culture as being more important than having favor on you. Human life was, was no longer regarded as being more important than winning. Human life didn't carry much value at all when it came to things of, uh, of success. And not only was his family damaged, but uh, if you continue reading over in chapter 12, you're going to see that tens of thousands lost their lives because of this concoction of faith that Jephthah, Jephthah had come up with. And before we start shaking our heads in disbelief that he would do such a thing, do we not live in a culture today where human life and the value of human life has become less and less valued? I mean, do we not? Yeah, we'd shake our heads at, at him and go, how, how could they ever? How could he ever make such a vow? But do we not live in a culture that sounds very similar to the one that I just described to you back then? People today, and I'm not, uh, you know, not just talking about killing people, although that's rampant around our, our, our nation today. But people today are literally tearing apart their families and hurting their kids. All for the sake of wanting to find happiness from somewhere else. Trying to find happiness from somewhere, someone else. At the cost of what? At the cost of the family? At the cost of the children, at the cost, I told y'all, y'all weren't going to like it. At the cost of all the ones that surround them. You know, men today are neglecting their wives and kids. Why? In order to get ahead, in order to be successful, but I'm doing it for my family, right? And we're like in the culture we live in today, we're like, well, you know, this is what it takes. It takes hard work and 80 hours a week. You know, it, this is what it takes in our society to, these days to get ahead. You know, people today get pregnant, and it's an inconvenient time, and so they eliminate the child in, in an abortion because, why? It's an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience for them. And so before we go shaking our heads in bewilderment at Jephthah this morning, we should realize that our culture is not as advanced as we would like to think today. And so here's our first lesson that we should learn from this story of Jephthah today, and it's this. We're influenced more by our culture than we realize. We're influenced more than our culture by our culture more than we care to admit, if we're honest. And so Jephthah, you know, he didn't even realize it, but a lot of his outlook on God and life were shaped by the culture that he lived in. And he ends up with this, you know, concoction of faith you know, because of it, that was not really uh, Christianity at all. It was a hot dog instead of pure steak that God had promised and desired, and it ended up hurting a lot 
of people. And so uh, another question for us today is this. Where have we done this in our own lives? Because I believe, you know, when God points these kinds of things out to us in, our word, in His Word, I've said it time and time again, we've got to put ourselves into this story and say, where has that happened in my life? Where have I allowed that to happen in my life? Where have I allowed the outside voices and the outside culture to influence my Christianity so that I've made it into some recipe that I think tastes good and looks good? Right? Where have we allowed this to happen in our own lives? To influence our actions, our, our lives, more than we do the Word of God. You know, Jephthah didn't realize it, but he was more shaped by the pagan culture around him than he was his relationship with God. And it cost his daughter and 42,000 Israelites a little bit later their lives. Listen, not, not knowing your Bible, not knowing what God's Word says to you about who you are and how you're to live your life and what's you know, supposed to be priorities and what's not supposed to be priorities. Not knowing your Bible and not knowing God's Word has devastating effects on not only you but your family and those that you come in contact with. It just does. It just does. We see it time and time again, not only in the Bible but in the world that we live in. Not knowing your Bible has devastating effects. Think about it. Look around at what's happening in our world today. Look around at what's happening in our nation today. People are more caught up in, you know, the culture and what's popular than they are the things of God. People are more caught up in... Yeah, I'm going there. People are more caught up in politics today than they are the things of God. People are more caught up in today being an American than they are a Christian. God forgive us for that. That we would wave a flag in front of the cross. Forgive us for our idols and our little g-gods. Yeah, we live in the greatest nation in America. We are blessed and highly favored. But we can't allow our citizenship on this earth to influence and dictate our citizenship in heaven because, folks, that ain't nothing but a hot dog. People are more caught up in the things of the world today and the things that will make them popular and the things that will make them liked than they are in the things of God. But because they add a little God here and a little God there, when they have time to add a little God there, they think they've got a stake when all they really have is a poor substitute for Christianity and a relationship with God. This is why, you know, we push Bible study. You know, we're constantly announcing Bible studies here, Bible studies there, Sunday school. Oh, by the way, starts at 9.30 every Sunday morning. Small groups. And it was so exciting. I heard about a new small group started last Sunday night. First night of the small group. 23 people in a small group. All right? It's important. These things are important because it brings you together in God's Word, studying His Word, understanding His Word, knowing what God's Word is trying to teach us. This is why church should be in a priority in your life. All right? And I know I'm preaching to the choir. You know, the, the, the ones that need to hear this are playing ball and doing other things today. I get it, right? But it's why church is important. It's why Bible study is important. Small groups important. Sunday school is important. Having your kids in children's church is important. Having your kids here on Wednesday night, it's important. 
But yet we look at all these other things in our world, in our culture, and we tell our kids, but this is more important. You're cooking your kids hot dogs when God wants you to have steak in your family. Sorry. No, I'm really not. I'm not even following my notes, by the way, so just so you know. If you go and listen to the recording of earlier service, this sermon is different. Leads us to the second point this morning. It's this. Idolatry has devastating, don't miss this, devastating effects on those around us. It just does. And we see it time and time again. It happens over and over and over again. And we're like Israel. We can't learn our stinking lesson. You know, Jephthah's concoction of faith, it cost a lot of people. It didn't just affect him. You know what? He's probably sitting over here going, I can, I can mold my faith into what I want to be in it and, you know, what I want it to look like. And it's not going to affect anybody but me, really. It's really none of no, it's nobody else's business what my faith in God looks like and what I think Christianity ought to be and what it ought to look like. But it affected so Many. We talk about it time and time again, especially uh, when I'm talking to people about things that are, you know, are going wrong in their life. And there is a ripple effect. It continues to ripple and ripple and ripple and it affects even later generations. Right? And, and so the idolatries that we cherish in this country have effects as devastating as, uh, on others as, as Jephthah's was on his daughter. And I just went through and looked at some statistics about where we are at as a nation today. You know, and, and I found one of every three. My, my wife's been in education for, you know, nearly 28 years now. And she says she feels like it's higher. But uh, the statistic I found says that one of every three children grow up in a single parent home today. And only a fraction of these are the result of a death in the family. Right? What is the result of? Many of it, much of it, is because one of the parents or both decided that their desires and their happiness was more important than what was best for the family and what was best for the kids. It's the truth. It's the culture we live in today, and we've allowed it. We've allowed it to begin to shape us and form us and make us into a hot dog, right? Uh, the Arkansas Department of Health reported that there were 3,069 abortions induced in Arkansas in 2018 alone. The rampant appetite for pornography has created a sex industry in our nation today where the average age of girls who enter into it is 13 years old. In our nation, 30 million Mostly teenagers have been diagnosed with anorexia or bulimia, which happens to be... Why, why, is this, why is this such an epidemic now? Well, it's because we have placed the idol of self-image on the altar. Right? This, you, you know, it, we highly regard how someone looks, and it's pushed on our kids in, in every arena, in every place that they go. Folks, we're not as sophisticated as we like to think we are. And we need to see these idolatrous blind spots 
you know, that are prevalent in our culture today. We need to see them for what they are because idolatry is going to end up destroying lives and families and it gravely affects those in your house and it gravely affects those that you come in contact with. So our prayer must be, yes, God, use me, but we also must be praying that God will reveal to us these idols, right? Reveal to us where idols have replaced Him because He is the greatest gift that we have. And a heart that's fully devoted to Him is His desire for our lives and His plan for our relationship with Him. And that brings us to our last point today, and it's this. We need a better judge, (laughs) right? We, we've been seeing some bozos here going on. God uses bozos. He just does. But we need a better judge. There's a recurring theme in the book. We saw it with Gideon. We see it here again today with Jephthah. The Israelites thought, they thought that Jephthah was their Savior, right? But he was a broken Savior. And he wasn't the true Savior that Israel actually needed folks how often do we look to someone or something else to be our savior when the savior that we actually need is our father in heaven we're looking to all the wrong things for what god has to offer the israelites you know thought that he was their savior but he was just a human and oh can i tell you by the way humans make mistakes they're not perfect And if you're looking at me to be that perfect example, you need to get your eyes off me and get them on Jesus. But again, Jephthah, he points us here to a better judge, right? Think about it. Like Jephthah, who else was rejected and driven out? Jesus. He was rejected and driven out. He was despised and rejected by men. You know, but unlike Jephthah, we didn't have to call him back and talk him into coming back and saving us and bailing us out and helping us back. No, what did Jesus do? He ran to save us, right? He ran back to save us when, remember the verse earlier, when he could bear our misery no longer. He ran to our defense. He ran to our help. He ran to our salvation. Jephthah, he tried to start his campaign with diplomacy. You know, but when that didn't work, he wasn't afraid to fight. He wasn't afraid for blood to be shed, killing not only thousands, but he killed his own daughter. But folks, with Jesus, it's different. Jesus took that war upon himself. He he took that battle and that bloodshed upon himself. And when it came time for someone to die, it was his life and no one else's that had to be taken. I didn't have to offer my life or one of my boys' uh, lives on an altar to earn his favor because he had already taken that spot. He had already been there and done that on my behalf. Jephthah believed that he could only find favor uh, with God through doing something, you know, spectacular, through some extreme, you know, uh, sacrifice. But Jesus, he, he offered us favor with God as a free gift. It didn't require an extreme sacrifice, right? The, the price had been paid for God. 
through Jesus Christ himself. The meat of Christianity, folks, is grace that we have been extended. The meat of Christianity and of the gospel is the grace of God that we receive as a free gift. And faith in the grace of God is the only way to a healthy relationship with Him and the only Savior of the world. It comes through faith, believing this. It's the meat of the good news. It's this faith in a Savior that we don't have to earn His favor. We don't have to make extreme sacrifices. It's a free gift that He has extended to us. And He says, here, just take it. Just have it. It's been bought and paid for. The blood has been shed. The death has been taken care of. It's for you. And, and this faith, I, I love what Peter calls it in God's Word. When Peter's talking about this faith, he refers it to, don't miss, pure milk and the meat. <laughs> right? It, it's not some concoction. It, it, it's not, you know, got a lot of additives to it. Peter says, this is, this is the meat. This is the good stuff. And it's a free gift for all those who would receive it. God's acceptance of you is a gift. Not as a reward for being good. It's not a response to our extreme sacrifices that we can muster up or make but a gift from God for all who will simply admit how badly and desperately they need it and need Him and receive it for what it is. A gift of grace. And so this morning, I don't know what it is that God's speaking to you about, but I know He is because His Word does not return to Him void. I don't know what it is that God through His Spirit is kind of pricked your heart about this morning. But I wouldn't leave here without getting things right with you. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted that gift at all that I've been talking about. You have no idea even what a relationship with God looks like. I'd love to be able to talk to you about that. We're going to close in a time of prayer here in just a little bit. If you would like to catch me and talk to me, about what it looks like to accept Christ and receive this gift of grace, I would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. This morning as we close, I'm going to open these altars and I'm going to invite you to come. Maybe pray about something that God's speaking to your heart about right now. Maybe it's a situation that's going on in your life or your family or maybe some friends or relatives of yours that you're just carrying a burden for them and about them and you'd just like to come pray this morning about that, I invite you to come. I invite some to come and pray over this prayer chest that's been here as long as I've been here. And it's filled with names of people that we're simply just praying we'll come to know Christ. Some of you are here this morning, your name's in that chest. Some of you have accepted Christ and some of you are still wondering. But we're still praying and God's still calling. And so this morning as we close together with the time of prayer, I invite you to come. Come now. We're going to close together and, and join in prayer. And while you're coming uh, this morning, I just ask that you pray for Willard Glover.
Uh, he fell yesterday and, and uh, broke a, his pelvis and a hip and is in uh, some very serious and severe pain. Uh, Conway Regional. Also, Sue C. is having some, uh, some bad issues going on with an eye that's causing her a lot of pain. So I want to be uh, praying for them today. Any others that would like to come pray this morning, please come. Let's all join together. It's an awesome opportunity, folks, to be able to approach the throne room of Jesus. And that's his invitation to us today. God, today we come to you humbly. We come before you being reminded of how much you love us. how much you want us to be in a a relationship with you that's pure, solid, not contaminated by the culture that lives around us. And so, God, it it is our prayer today. We want to be used. We want to be available for you to work through us. But, God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would point out any idols that we have in our life that could cause damage not only to us but to our house, our family those that we come in contact with God is there any anything in our life that we're putting before you or maybe we're trying to add to you so that it looks okay and that it's alright God forgive us for trying to manufacture the kind of faith that we want to have trying to replace the kind of faith that you've called us to with one that we think we can make a little bit better by adding to or taking away. But God, your faith, your goodness, your gospel, the good news of Jesus is all that we need, and it's enough. And we thank you for that free gift that you've extended to us that we didn't have to earn, we didn't have to do something extravagant to get it or receive it. We just have to believe place our faith in you, and receive the gift. And so today, I pray that any of us that are here that have received the gift and accepted you, have allowed that gift to be corrupted and counterfeited by the things that we've added to it or taken away, God, forgive us of that and show us, show us the things that are getting in the way. Show us the things that are not healthy in our relationship with you. Show us the things that honestly we've made idols in our lives and in our families and then help us to overcome those things. Give us the strength and the courage that we need to be overcomers in those areas of our lives. God, I pray for those here today that maybe have never ever received that gift that we've been talking about. I pray today would be a day, whether it be now, at the end of this service, or maybe they just find time to get away and get along with you and just talk to you about where they're at in their their relationship with you. And if they want to begin that relationship today, I pray they'd make that commitment to you and that you would help them and that you would put people in their lives that would be encouragers, that would help them on this journey as we all travel it together. I pray as your church that we would be faithful to that, to make disciples, be encouragers, 
to be uh, the ones that come along beside others and even carry them some days when they need to be carried. With your help, with your strength, we can be the church that you've called us to be. Pray for these today that have walked in this place carrying a great burden. I pray today that they would trust you and that you would give them help and give them hope in their situation and in their life today. I pray for these that we've mentioned, so many in our church battling physical illnesses, sicknesses, things going on that just rocked their world. And I pray that you'd be with them in a special way today. That you would be their comfort. You would be their help. You would be their hope. And that you would draw them especially close. God, I continue to pray for the other churches that we have a great opportunity of doing ministry beside in this community. Some great churches, some great uh, congregations, some great pastors that have been faithful to the call to make disciples. And so we lift them up. And today, God, just uh, the ones you've laid on my heart, our friends down at First Baptist today, is they're, they're starting a new Hispanic ministry in our community. And we are so grateful and thankful for that. There are a lot of... Uh, Latinos and Hispanic people that have moved into our community and I thank you for a, a church that you've equipped and called to minister to them in some way God if we can partner with them we can help God we just want to be available God today as, as we leave this place we've been called to be your ambassadors we're called to be your representatives that's amazing to me that you would look at us and think that we would represent you well but you've chosen us to do that so God I pray that in and through the lives that we live and the words that we speak that people would see you that we wouldn't be glorified that we wouldn't be the ones that people would be uh, looking to but they'd be looking to you they would see your reflection in our lives and in our eyes and help us to minister to a world that needs to see Jesus so desperately bad. God, we love you so much and we thank you for your awesome love for us and we've been reminded about that today, how much you truly love us and we are so grateful. We're blessed and we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to be the bride of Christ. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray and ask these things. Amen. God bless you.